in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. The word of God, it corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses his word to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And according to the word of God, what is the word of God? It's a sword that pierces. It's a light that shines It's a mirror that reveals. The word of God is a path to purity. It's a meal that spiritually nourishes. It's a seed that reproduces. The word of God is a fire that consumes. It's a defense against temptation. It's the source of all of our faith. The word of God is the truth that lives forever. So today we are opening up the living word of God. So Father, thank you that you are the word that became flesh and that the word made his dwelling among us in the person of your son, Jesus. God, would you create in us a spiritual hunger to feed on your word, to know you through your word, to honor you and how we live by the power of your word that doesn't just inform us, but transforms us into the image of your son. Make us like him through your word and by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm excited to talk to you about something that you have access to, that many people around the world don't have access to. In fact, being a disciple of Jesus in some parts of the world is actually illegal. The crazy thing is, usually in these regions of the world, it's where Christianity is explosive. Like it's growing like wildfire. But there would be severe persecution, and it could even cost you your life to be in these regions of the world where people don't have access to the Bible if they could just get their hand on a single page. And oftentimes, if they could get their hands on a Bible, there would be 12, 15 people huddled together in a room by candlelight to read the Word, to memorize the Word, to internalize the Word, because they don't have easy access to it. And yet we live in a place where we have easy access to it, free access to it, anytime, anywhere. I mean, you go to most hotel rooms and you open up the drawer and there's the Gideon Bible sitting right there. Or we have our phones with the Bible app and we can just pull it out on the bus and our Ubers at our workplaces, wherever we are. Or you go to grandma's house and she probably has one of those big ones sitting there on the coffee table that you're like, oh, wow, it's intimidating. But why don't we value the word? Why do we take it for granted? Why don't people read and study God's living word when we have such easy access to it? And I know there's a lot of various reasons. There's a lot of nuance, but we know a lot of people don't believe in God. They don't care. They they don't believe that this old book applies to our lives today. Or there are people who, well, they tried to read it and they got through it. And kind of like we said last week, you get to Numbers and Leviticus and you get to the, the laws and you're like, oh boy, like this is a slog fest. So then we drop it because we just don't understand it. 
But I would suggest for most people, including believers and followers of Jesus, the main reason that we don't read the Bible is that we haven't been taught how to understand it, how to engage with it, how it actually applies to our life. I actually was talking with Brianne just before the service, and she even talked about what she loves about reading through Numbers and Leviticus is the fact that we don't have to live by those laws anymore because of the work of Jesus. And if that's the only thing you get out of those books, that's phenomenal. (laughs) I had a seminary prof who was asked, why do we still teach the Greek and Hebrew languages in seminary? because now everything's so readily available and we have access to it at our fingertips. And the reason they still teach it is because in his words, we want you to remember the Bible wasn't written in English. He he wasn't concerned that we were gonna get everything right and correct. He just wanted it to be a reminder that sure, we have access to everything, but we need to be reminded that the Bible wasn't written in English. And also the Bible is the living word of God. So if you're taking some notes, I think there's some foundational thoughts to prepare ourselves for part two of how to study the Bible. And the first thing would be the Bible is meant to transform us not just inform us. I think that's a huge thing to understand because sometimes we're so focused on the head knowledge to make sure that we've got it right, to make sure we understand everything or memorize all the verses. But the Bible isn't there to just give us a bigger head, but it's there to transform us. And I don't know if you've ever been around some Christian circles where there's almost like a Bible war going on when you... it's time to open up your Bible and people like race to it and they'll put in tabs and make sure like, I actually grew up at a church that had, um, I forget what they called it, but like sword drills and like you'd sit on your Bible and then they'd give you a verse and you okay. And you try and race. And I always lost in grade three. I asked my parents for a digital Bible for Christmas because I wanted to just boop, 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 type it in and go. But I sometimes think that we can start looking at one another and we're like, oh, their Bible doesn't look as as worn. They must not read it as much. And we kind of get this spiritual superiority and we feel like, oh, we're holier than that person. Or we look at someone else's who's really torn. Like, Now, this one, you're like, I've been complimented on this Bible before. Like, man, that is a well-read Bible. But I'm going to peel back a layer and admit I actually left it on the wall of a tent and it rained one night. That's what ruined my Bible. (laughs) So people have said like, man, that is a well-worn Bible. And I'm like, thank you. (laughs) But it got wet and it got all worn. And I I do read it. But like I said last week, I, I use a lot of technology because all my resources are digital. So I'm in the digital Bible. But 1 Corinthians 8.1 tells us that while knowledge makes us feel important, It is love that strengthens the church. So if you're feeling a little more superior today, well, step back. If you're feeling a little less than today, just know it is love that strengthens the church. You could know this book inside and out, but if you don't have Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus transforming you, you've missed the point The Bible isn't just a book we study for knowledge. It's a book that informs us and it's 
God's word that transforms us. It's not a book that informs us. It's God's word that transforms us. Rick Warren, a pastor down at Saddleback, he used to be down there in California. He says, the Bible should not give us, a, the Bible should give us a bigger heart, not a bigger head. That is so true. And I like that. And that's why we're going to apply what the Bible says in James 1.22, when James tells us, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but what are we going to do? We're going to do what it says. So if people don't know how to study the Bible, we're going to talk about how to study it. And we're going to review what we covered last week, the five big thoughts, and then we're going to go a little bit deeper this week. But to start off the five thoughts of how to study the Bible from last week, the first thing we're going to do is choose a translation you understand. Choose one that that's easily readable to you. Choose a time, a place, and a plan to study. Understand the context. Read slowly. Ask questions about it. And then pray for God to speak to you and apply what he shows you. This is how we're going to approach the Bible. Now, if you weren't here last week or if you haven't scanned that yet or gone to this website, um, check this out, the wellbinbrook.church slash Bible study. It's filled with resources going through all five of those steps. And it's linked to uh, different studies, different podcasts you can listen to, different resources that will help you even go further in your Bible study. So hopefully, though, you've determined okay, I'm going to put a plan together. I have a, I have a place, I have a time, and maybe it's first thing in the morning before you start dealing with the kids, or maybe it's the end of the day when you finally get that last child to sleep. You're like, yes. Now, I'll be honest, that's not a great time for me because I'm so exhausted, but um, you have to figure out what works for you. If you carpool or if you take the go train into work, maybe you're listening to it. Um, maybe you're, you're reading a Devo. Now, of course, you have to have a plan, and you have to have a plan of how you're going to study the Bible. And you might be asking, well, what's the best plan? Well, I'm going to tell you right now that there is no best plan to studying the Bible. The best plan is the one that works for you. So breathe a sigh of relief that I'm not going to tell you this rigid way that you have to do it but I am going to give you some steps and ideas of how to start exploring different ways of studying the Bible. But it doesn't have to be this picture-perfect Instagrammable thing where you're at Starbucks with your Bible laid out with the coffee cup. Like, I'm guilty. I have one on my Instagram with my pumpkin spice latte there. It doesn't have to be that because by the time that the photo is going and you're looking at all your likes, you haven't even studied the Bible. You're more concerned about Instagram. But it doesn't even have to be a specific amount of time. It, it might be an hour one time. It might be seven minutes. It might be 30 seconds one day if that's all you've got because your schedule is just so full. But the point is you have a plan. You at least know that today I am going to get into God's word and I'm going to give him as much as I can. And hopefully as you do that, that will cultivate this desire to keep going deeper. So the only plan that's a bad plan is no plan. So what I want to do is I want to give you five different options, five different ways to approach the Bible to help you get into a rhythm of studying it. So the first thing is you can start with a book of the Bible. You can it, simply, there's 66 books in here. You can pick it up and be like, okay, which, 
which book do I want? Now, let me give you some ideas. If you're wanting to kind of know the story of God, the beginning of history or his story, you can read Genesis. You can read Exodus. There's some phenomenal stories in there, stories you probably grew up on in Sunday school. Or say you want to read more about Jesus and get to know him. Well, go to the Gospels. There's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Most people that I was kind of trained under or raised under would say, start with John. It's a great one. It's kind of outside the other three, but they're all great. Let's say that you've got somebody who's driving you crazy. Uh, you're trying to deal with difficult people. You're trying to manage your money. Well, then you might want to check out Proverbs or you might want to check out the book of James for some practical insight into how to deal with everyday life. Or let's say you wake up and you're hurting and you need some comfort, you need healing, you need just a way of articulating your cries out to God. Well, flip to the Psalms. The Psalms is a great place for that. Or if you wanna go deeper in theology, maybe you've been a Christian for a while or maybe you're just new to this whole thing and you're trying to figure out, okay, I really wanna get a grip on kind of like sin and and human nature and, and well, go to the book of Romans. It's not an easy one to read through, but it is so good. I took a whole course on that and I couldn't get enough of it. But when you have a plan, you could then start easier and you can start with a book of the Bible or you can study a person of the Bible. You could go to different people, King David, uh, not just Jesus, but like check out Paul, check out Esther and and check out Ruth. You can go to these different characters. And what I actually love is Landon, uh, we got him the Action Bible a few years ago. And it's kind of like a comic book for kids that helps him engage with the word. But then they released a thing called Characters of the Bible. And it was these profiles in comic form of the different people. And I actually loved it because it it's already showing them these different ways to approach the Bible. It doesn't have to be these set formats. The other thing you can do is you can study a topic in the Bible. We're going to touch on this a bit later, but there's concordances in the back. It's like the little dictionary thing at the back, and it has like laziness. Um, oh, my Bible actually says lazy bones. <laughs> um, there's knowing, knowledge, um, forgiveness, grace. You can go there and start picking up different things. Perhaps you grew up in a very legalistic environment and you couldn't watch um, The Simpsons. That was my home growing up. Well, maybe I'd want to start in the it, looking up some grace and, okay, grace. What's this grace thing that I've heard of? I always joke with my parents that once I discovered grace, I could no, never go back to the way I was raised. But... Uh, <laughs> It's just sometimes there's these things that, that we're wrestling with that we want to know more of. So I say start with a topic. Do a deep dive in there. And what I love about that is it won't just take you to one book of the Bible, but this will take you all over as you start doing a deep dive. And then you can do a daily devotional or a version Bible plan. And I'm really specifying the version. Bible for the app and everything. And the reason why is because I trust it. I know who the developer is. It's a church, Life Church down in Oklahoma, where that started. I think they have about 46 campuses now. They just launched another one this past week in uh, Palm Beach, Florida. But 
I know that they are putting a ton of resources into this app, like financially. When COVID hit and everything went online, the cost of running their online ministry, I think, went up $500,000 a month. And they brought in more staff and they've kept it going. And they give that away for absolutely free. People have said, you should charge a dollar and you'll make so much. And they said, no. We've been blessed and we want to bless others with this. But a few other things you can start with. Jesus Calling. There's a daily devotional you can do. It's a popular one. And it's simply just, it gives you a scripture verse and then it gives you a reflection for the day. Another one you could do is my utmost for his highest. That's a classic. Um, I was given this a few times for different gifts and it's a phenomenal one. I would suggest this picture here. It says an updated edition in today's language. It was written a while ago. Go with the updated version. Again, choose a translation that works. Um, and then this is one I picked up this year, Craig Rochelle's Daily Power. So Craig Rochelle is the pastor of Life Church, and I really look up to and admire his work. And uh, this is one that I pick up and I start my day with each day. But another thing, oh, and then there's the Version Bible app. That's what the, the logo looks like. But another thing you can do is you can read through the whole Bible. Now, this is something that can seem daunting, but there's so many plans out there that help you break it down. And I would say that one is a, a great one is The Bible in One Year by Nikki and Pippa Gumbel. Uh, Nikki Gumbel is a pastor over in UK and is the, the founder of Alpha. And uh, they just do a phenomenal job and they continually update these resources. Now, this isn't going to be your quick few minutes a day and I'm done. This is going to take some dedicated time. But again, even if you don't get through it in a year exactly, give yourself grace, show up, be consistent. And then you can also find this. That, that picture is the cover of their paper copy, but you can also find this for free on the, the YouVersion Bible app as well. So there's just some options for how to study the Bible. And what I love again with the app is there are over 53,000 plans at our fingertips that you could pull up right now and find something that will get you started. Now, I don't say that to kind of like paralyze you, like, ah, that's too many options, but just start exploring. Start digging into it and start with a plan. Start with something that excites you, that's going to get you into it. So the bottom line is you want to have a good plan. If your plan isn't working, what do you do? Well, you change it up. You do something else. If you're not getting something out of the way you've currently been doing it, there are different options. The key is when you wake up tomorrow, you know what you're going to study, where you're going to study, and when you're going to study. So make sure you have a good translation. You've got a place. You've got a plan. And now let's get into the book of Philemon, where we started last week. So what is the first thing that we need to know when we get into, the, when we get into any given book in the Bible? We need to know the context. We need to know what's going on. So the primary questions that we're going to ask is who wrote it, to whom it was written, and what is its purpose? 
So before we start just picking a verse out of the Bible, we want to know who wrote it, who it was written to, and what's going on. What's the big story? What's the purpose? So let's try and answer these questions about the book of Philemon. So do you guys remember who wrote it? Paul. Do you know who it was written to? Philemon. Bit of a trick question there. And then what is its purpose? To forgive Onesimus. So a quick review is Philemon is this successful business owner. He's kind of a small group pastor, a life group leader that this house church met in his home. And, and we know that he, he had a slave. Now, slavery, again, was, is never right, has never been right. It's a terrible thing, but it was something that happened at this time. So the context, we have to take it for what it is that Philemon had a slave and his name was Onesimus. And at the, we know that at the end of Onesimus's time with Philemon, he ends up stealing something and taking off to Rome, leaving Philemon. And through God's providence, he runs into Paul. Paul leads Onesimus to Christ. So all of a sudden you've got this runaway slave who's stolen stuff who's now being transformed by Jesus. And the purpose of this letter is that Paul is asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus, to receive him back. This is huge, but this is the context of the letter. So when we understand the letter, we see a lot in here. We see Paul saying, Philemon, you're so loving, you're so amazing. We know you're gonna do the right thing. And maybe he was buttering up. Maybe he was kind of, like trying to really um, get on his good side before asking, but he's saying, I know you want to do this. Remember, Jesus forgave you. So can you model that now to Onesimus? So that's the context. And we're going to do, what we're going to do here is we're going to read slowly and we're going to see what God says to us. So as you're reading, one of the things is just... Be atten uh, pay attention to what, it, what is God saying to me as I'm reading this text. So here's what scripture says in verse 12. I'm sending Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. So you can imagine this kind of conversation Paul's probably having with Onesimus. He's, he's saying, okay, this is great that God's transforming your life, but you need to go back now and make things right. That's probably what he said. So Paul's saying, I'm sending him back to you. I would have liked to have kept Onesimus with me so he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for Christ. In other words, remember he said last week, he's useful, he's valuable. We don't know. Maybe Onesimus is, is getting him meals. Maybe he's delivering these letters that Paul's writing to other Christians, but he's helping Paul. But Paul says, I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. So Paul is writing to him, brother to brother, he even starts off this letter saying, I'm, I'm a prisoner. He's not saying I'm an apostle and pulling rank. He's saying, I'm a prisoner of Christ. And he's saying, I don't want this to be forced. I want you to do this because it's the right thing. And he goes on to say, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while is that you might have him back forever. Perhaps there was a larger purpose at play here. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother, 
He's very dear to me and even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Again, this is huge. Like this is big stuff. But you might be asking, is God saying anything to me yet? And for me, there's not a lot there. It's kind of just laying the groundwork. So if there's not a lot, then I keep reading and I keep paying attention to God speaking to me. So it says, if Onesimus has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. And right away, when I read that, it's like ding, 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 an alarm bell went off in my head because I'm suddenly thinking of another story that has a similar wording. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, where this Good Samaritan picks up and starts mending this guy's wounds and bandages who had just been beaten and left on the side of the road. And he takes him to this inn in town and he says, if he owes anything else, I'll come back, charge it to me. So all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is, this is gospel stuff happening that, that Paul's starting to lay out to Philemon. And then I'm starting to see that Paul says, I'm writing this with my own hand. If there's any expenses, charge it to me. And what will I do? I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm seeing even beyond the good Samaritan, I'm starting to see this sounds a little bit like what Jesus did for us. Paul says, I'll pay a debt that I don't owe. And it reminds me of the gospel. So what you might do when you come to a place like this, if you happen to have a study Bible, you might use a cross-reference. Now, if you don't know what a cross-reference is, I should have zoomed in a little bit more on that. But this is a picture of my Bible right here. The cross-reference is that middle section. And in the middle section... It has a bunch of abbreviated verses um, of other books of the Bible. So if you're reading through Philemon and you, you look at it and you're, you see, okay, verse 19 then link is showing me these other verses, well, that cross-references you to other areas in the Bible that have this similar meaning. So when you cross-reference the part about someone else doing something for you, paying the bill, it might take you to the Old Testament, to Isaiah 53. And again, if we're going to jump to a new book of the Bible, though, we want to know the context of Isaiah 53. And the context, we'll find out that it was written seven centuries before the birth of Christ. And then we also find out, well, it's one of the most prophetic verses prophesying about Jesus to come. And seven centuries before Jesus was born, it says... Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we're healed. The debt that we owed, Jesus paid. Whatever we needed, he provided. And this was written seven centuries before he arrived to earth. And we see right here in Philemon, if there's any charge, charge it to me. Now, as you read the Bible, you want to tell yourself, the Bible isn't about you. It's never been about you, but it's always to you, but it's not about you. There's a slight nuance there. So what is it about? Well, the main story is always about God's love for the world and his redemption through Jesus. But while the Bible isn't about you, it's not wrong and it's not unwise to see yourself in the story and see what God would say to you. So as we're reading Philemon, we have three main characters. 
And a good question is, who do you relate to in this story? Do you relate to Paul, who's taking a risk on someone? Do you relate to Onesimus, who's a person who needs forgiveness? Or do you relate to Philemon, who's being called to forgive? Which one of those three do you relate to at this time in your relationship with God? And here's what's crazy. If, if you go through those Bible reading plans in a year and you read this three different times, God is going to speak to you in three different ways. Every time we approach the word of God, because it is living and active, God shows up in these remarkable ways. And you could be like, I've been reading this my whole life and I never saw it this way. And it might be one time as Paul, you're taking a risk on someone, you're investing in someone, you're, you're teaching them about Christ. Or another time, it might be you, you're in the place where you've messed up, that addiction that you've been in bondage to has tripped you up again, and you've lost your temper, you're, you're losing control of things. Well, you're a person who needs forgiveness, and you relate to Onesimus now in this story. But by sometimes placing yourself in these various roles, it helps you understand scripture a little more. Because if you were Philemon, the person who has lost something, had something stolen, you're angry, you're bitter, maybe you have resentment, like, I can't believe they took this. Well, that's going to speak to you much differently than if you're the person who stole and is now being transformed, being like, I need to go make things right. It's two different postures and ways of looking at things. But say you relate to Onesimus who needs forgiveness. So what do you do? Well, like I said, at the back of your Bibles, you have a concordance. And you could go to the, the F where it says forgive, forgiven, forgives. So any type of forgiveness, it's not an exhaustive concordance. You can get those as well. But you can go there and you can start finding other verses that will help you to lean in to forgiveness. So one of the verses there I highlighted on the right is in 1 John 1, 9. And what it says is if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so if you find that you've done something wrong and you're reading this and you're a little bit like the runaway slave, you might dig deeper into this. You might realize, oh, I need to own up to this. I need to say, God, I'm so sorry. I need to turn away from this. And God says in that instant that you are forgiven. And you stand up whole and forgiven, a completely different person, not because you deserved it, but because someone else paid a debt that you couldn't pay. So maybe you relate to Onesimus or maybe you relate to Philemon. And you're thinking, man, that would be hard. When someone has wronged us, when someone has done something against us, like, Sometimes I like hanging on to that anger as almost like a comfort, like a security blanket. <laughs> it's like, man, I can be so angry. But then you think, wait a minute. God has forgiven me. So who am I not to pass that on to others? If you remember last week, Onesimus, if he came back, he would have been branded with an F on his brow for fugitives, which we get our word fugitive from. He, he could have been beaten. He could have been killed. But Paul's saying, look, look, don't receive him as a slave. Receive him as a brother. 
forgive him. The slave that you kind of owned and wronged you, forget all that. You don't own him now. He's a brother in the Lord. Love him like a brother. And so you say, man, I'm supposed to give this person that hurt me. And I don't know how. So maybe you open up your version Bible app and you search, how do I forgive? Well, then Ephesians 4.32 might come up and it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So how do you do it? Well, you forgive just like Jesus did. And so you're reading the book of Philemon. One time God speaks to you one way. Another time he'll speak to you a different way. But that's what I love about the word of God is it's always breathing and living and active. And God is wanting us to engage with it so that he can transform us from the inside out. So what is God showing you? What did God show you in his word today? Imagine if every day you could answer that question. What did God show me in his word? Because the Bible is not meant to inform us, but it's meant to transform us. So if you'll commit to knowing him through his word, he will speak to you. He will love you. He will guide you, correct you, comfort you, empower you, forgive you, transform you, and conform you into the image of his son every single day. So today we're studying the book of Philemon, but hopefully you're hungry for more. And Google is such a great resource, seriously. If you go to Google and you start searching Philemon, the resources that come up are incredible. Now, again, you want to use common sense. You want to sift through things. There's always going to be two sides of the debate. But as I was looking at this, I found what I like to call the Easter egg, the, a little hidden treasure within here. Because if you keep studying, what you're going to find is something outside of the Bible by a guy named Ignatius. So if you fast forward about 50 years from when this story took place, you come across this guy, Ignatius. I believe he's one of the, the early church fathers. Well, who was Ignatius? It's this guy. He's a famous martyr, which means he gave his life for the gospel. He was the Bishop of Antioch. And if you study about him, you're going to find that he was very likely discipled by John. And so this guy was a strong Christian who was discipled, and he wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. And in the letter, this guy, Ignatius, brags about another bishop. And this other bishop was a bishop to the churches in Ephesus. And he calls this other bishop this man of inexpressible love. He says, this man, this other bishop, was blessed by God who granted unto you. The church was blessed by God to be blessed with such an excellent bishop. He's bragging on this bishop. And here's what's crazy. What do you think was the name of the other bishop? Onesimus. Now, we can't go back and verify this 100%, but scholars do agree that this is about the right time, the right age, and the guy has the right name in the right place, that it's very likely it was the runaway slave who was transformed by Jesus becoming a bishop of the churches in Ephesus. Like, like, can we even begin to comprehend what God can do when he works in your life? Like, that is phenomenal. To have this person who thought, I am going to die if I go back there. But to be accepted in, to be loved, to be forgiven, and then to be 
elevated to this point of then overseeing others. I can't even begin to comprehend what's possible when God starts to work in your life. So what will God's word do in your life? And the answer is, it depends. It depends on where you're at, what you're needing. If you're hurting, his word will give you hope. If you're lost, his word will direct your steps. If you're doubting, like we all do sometimes, well, his word will help build your faith. If you're anxious, you'll learn to cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He will give you a peace from heaven that goes beyond your understanding. If you're trapped in the life that you never wanted, he will provide you with the truth and the truth will set you free. At the end of the day, I love God's word. I need God's word. I crave God's word. And the more that I read it, the more I fall in love with it. There's an old saying, I don't know who, who said it, but it said, this book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. And that is so true. Because the more that we start walking away from God, the less likely it is we're gonna be digging into his word. But the more we engage with God, fall in love with his word written to us, we will begin journeying with him closer and closer each day. There are people who will risk their life to get a single page of this book. And then there are Christians who will simply leave it aside. So I'm going to ask, if you're truly serious about being a disciple of Jesus, make his word a very important part of your daily rhythm. So my challenge to you last week was to do this for seven days, to do this for the last week. My challenge to you this week is do it for a month. That's, that's what it really starts building a habit. But take a time, a place, make a plan and do it for a month and watch how God transforms, transforms you in ways that you could never imagine. And years later, I'm sure you're going to look back and say, I'm different, not because I'm better, but because the word of God is alive and has changed me from the inside out. So let me just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that by the power of your spirit, you speak to us in ways that we can't always understand. God, I pray that you would create in us a hunger and a desire to be in your word. We already have the need, God, but help us to see our need to get to know you to feed on your living word. And I pray that your word would be part of our conversations when we're among your people. I pray that we would just talk about what you're showing us, that we share what it is you're doing in us. God, help us to make a plan to meet with you. I thank you in advance for the way you're gonna speak and how you're gonna transform us as we commit to meeting with you. So Jesus, be first in our life. Be our Lord. Fill us with your spirit so that we can know you better. Help us know your word so that we can live out your word, so that we can do your will. Use us, God, to show your love to those who need you. I thank you so much for the new life that you've given us. 
we give you all of ours. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.